This is the Nomad Futurist Podcast, a podcast about the evolution of technology, society, and transformation. Connect with us, share your thoughts with us at nomadfuturist.com. Let's get this started. Here are Phil and Nabil. Hello, hello, hello. This is Nabil Mahmood from Hawaii. This is Philip Koblenz from Brooklyn, New York. This is Christian Katz joining you from New York City. Christian, welcome to the Nomad Futurist Podcast. Let's start with uh, a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do, and uh, where you're at in your career. Yeah, sure. So uh, I got into, uh, I guess, the telecom space back in the late 90s and spent a big portion of my career as a network engineer and kind of shifted away from that uh, maybe six or seven years ago and got more on the business side of things into the kind of the planning around interconnection and acquisition of network assets. And now I'm currently uh, focusing on product management for our cloud and ecosystem over at a company called Packet Fabric. You know, beyond that, you're selling yourself way short, man. You are now also a newsletter writer. You're an amateur analyst. So you have a, a significant interest in in kind of our world. Let's start. Let's start early on. I mean, you you're a fairly young guy. So late '90s would mean you got into this industry fairly young. How old were you when you got started? 19, 18. So right after right after high school, I should have graduated high school in 1998. And but but I left. But I left high school in 1997. Okay, and then so, I never went to college. Oh my God! So I mean, we have a true Mark Zuckerberg, Bill Gates situation. Um, this is my uh, number seventy-four for black T-shirt. <laughs> so this is that we're, we're we're staring at. I don't know if we'll make this video available, but we're staring at the Christian Koch uniform uh, right now. So watch out! The next Steve Jobs is is in front of us. So yeah, let, let's let's delve into that a little bit. Like I mentioned in our, our kind of uh, pre-interview, our uh, demographic, our target demographic are kids trying to figure out, you know, why they would choose the critical infrastructure industry and, and you know, the, the associated industries. You know, status that we're in has obviously shown that, you know, technology is incredibly important. But you have a unique story because you started so young. So how does one go from a, I guess, what, senior, sophomore in, in, in high school to, uh, to, you know, getting into telecom? Yeah, I mean, look, I did, uh, I did grunt work. I was running cable for high-speed internet in hotels when it was first coming out and punching down D-slam blocks in the basement. Um, it wasn't necessarily fun, but uh, it was a segue into doing something that wasn't sitting in school. You were where? Where did you grow up? Was born in Brooklyn and grew up in North New Jersey, and that's where I went to school. And are all those jobs around that area, or have you traveled around a bit? Yeah, no. They initially they were in that area. Um, I remember the first hotel I did was in Secaucus by the Meadowlands. All right, so you haven't you haven't strayed very far. Still in uh, still in New York City. How did you really get into it? What's the driving force for you not finishing school and getting into that space? I was in school and I didn't like it, and I was trying to think about you know what it was I did like. And I remember I think maybe when I was in middle school, I guess they call it uh, eighth grade, seventh grade, right before high school, was that uh, you know I was building my own computer and just messing around on the internet back when you know bulletin board systems were a thing and you had a dial up modem and you know I kind of thought back to that and just kind of looked at what can I do and that's kind of what brought me to hey oh, I, I can run cable it seems pretty easy and that just kind of led me into like wondering how it really worked well that's a big move at a very early age that shows extreme size of maturity and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you have uh, shared this story with our listeners so let's uh, you know talk a little bit further about that as far as your career is concerned you progressed from punching cables to where you're at right now what was the big transition 
uh, what led you to the, the next step in your career in Vassar? <clears throat> so I guess, you know, I got interested in how does the whole internet and networks work, right? I'm running the cables, I'm doing these punch downs, and I ended up taking the next step, getting a job with Fordham University. And at Fordham University, I was kind of doing the same thing, you know, as a network technician and running cables. I learned how to install and rack switches and other network gear. And, you know, the, the primary network uh, engineers or administrators, as they actually called it back then, started teaching me how to log into Sun servers and Unix servers and what it all meant and Cisco switches and a whole bunch of stuff, right? And uh, then I just kind of started reading on my own and from there, it's just kind of been, this is really interesting. Let me read and absorb as much information as I can and see where it takes me. Well, this is a great example of being self-taught. It's really derivative from having that personality of constant education. That's really a, a message to our listeners and the younger folks that you shouldn't be afraid of joining the data center market. You should not be afraid of joining the technology market segment. It's the foundation, the core of the future. However, there's got to be some sort of a level of interest in understanding the foundation elements. And there's a lot of resources, a lot of tools, a lot of people that are willing to mentor and, and, and support any, anyone's journey for that matter. And that really is what makes Nomad Futurist, Nomad Futurist. In the course of your learning curve and uh, where you're at in your career, what would you say is your primary skill or a unique skill that you've actually developed to be successful? I'm probably going to say it's uh, observability. And what drives that is just my kind of endless curiosity into how things work and why things are the way they are. Curiosity is, I mean, that, that is, if, if anything, you know, if I had to talk about in my career, what it was the difference between uh, a key differentiator, let's say, between me and anyone else, it's the idea that, you know, we were interested in the varying elements of, you know, what went into providing a mission critical service. So yes, you can get into, you know, the underlying elements of what it takes to run a data center, but for the stuff that goes into a data center, like what do those servers do? How do they work? And, you know, one of the things I've mentioned in previous episodes of, of the podcast was that, you know, with, with my, my children, I have two small children, I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old, and they started using technology incredibly early. Um, you know, obviously they they know how to use the iPhone better than me uh, before they could walk. And you know, what's what's what I'm trying to instill in them is, is this idea of not how technology works, but why technology works. And I think there's a key distinction there um, that you know would help anyone that's really coming from any other career or any other background that um, you know is is utilizing technology um, to 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 really find value in and how to pursue you know, technology as a career, even if it's not necessarily something you're formally trained in. Yeah. So I, I'm going to keep on delving into your, your early career a little bit. So you go from, you start understanding, you start logging into these sun servers, you're in the, um, you're, you're, you're now understanding how to a certain extent the sausage is made. Then what are you at? You're at Fordham university. Then what happens? Then I guess, uh, I start understanding networks a little bit more and systems and kind of how it all works, right? We basically uh, deployed a, you know, cable modem system for the dorm. So every dorm got its own cable modem. So we installed the CMTS and everything that makes a, you know, uh, an RF plant and all that. Um, I, I think I just kind of was like, let's, how does it get bigger from here? Right? Like what do networks look like on the internet? Like this is just a school. Um, and from there, I actually had got uh, pinged by a recruiter from Globix, which was uh, ISP data center provider during, during and probably even before the dot-com bust. Um, 
in New York and I went over there and I worked in the knock, uh, you know, so it's, you know, it's like the knocks that I always saw in the pictures when I was like doing all my research, it was literally, you know, a dark room with all these screens. Uh, the screens didn't work. Maybe one of them did and it, you know, had a monitoring system on it, but the rest were out. Maybe there's one screen that had CNN and, uh, you had people sleeping, you know, this is like kind of at the end of Globex's tenure, okay. right? Like the, the heydays are gone, but it was still uh, super interesting for me because I got to learn and, and actually really see how a large internet network was operated. So Christian, uh, I often get this question asked and uh, I, I can share a few stories after I hear your answers. The fact that you know the, the younger generation is a little bit afraid of, of getting into our space because they might not have a degree. Uh, they might not have gone to college for people to excel and, and get these opportunities that you're in. In your career and your experience, what were your findings? Uh, was that a barrier uh, to your success or was it acceptable because of the skill set and the abilities that you developed over the years? Yeah, I think for the most part, it it was welcomed. And what I've ended up seeing over time was there's actually a lot of folks in network engineering. Uh, I put them in two camps, actually. I've met a lot of network engineers with psychology degrees. And then I've met a lot of network engineers that have no degrees. So, uh, I mean, not, you know, you know, college is cool and all, but uh, I've never seen it required. Uh, a lot of the people I've met have not went to college. Nobody's ever looked at my resume during a job interview and said, oh, you, you didn't go to school. If it came up, it came up, but they never pointed it out or never didn't get an interview because of it. You know, I think that's another interesting thing about, you know, the technology space in general is given, I mean, we're, we're similar ages, um, you and I, but we're so early in, in this industry that there was there is no going to school for for what we do specifically. I mean, maybe now obviously you have programming languages and other types of you know vocational uh, schools and whatnot. But when you know the internet you know came out or or whatever to the mass public, there was no way you could be trained for it. So the the people that are you know the most experienced, the most capable, the most to a certain extent successful engineers are the ones that you know essentially invented the problem, invented the solution, and came up at a time when we've essentially been inventing it as we go, don't you think? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, when I was in high school, we had automotive shop and pottery class. And there was there was computer science. That's what it was called. That was it, just one class, right? And, you know, now, I mean, we're seeing high schools with Cisco Networking Academy in it. And, you know, there's a lot more opportunities and there's a lot more opportunities to learn on your own if you want. And I mean, you could just, just see the amount of kids that are starting companies that are in high school. I just read about a kid who started a company in college and sold it while he was in college and is now living the dream, I guess. And I so assume you were angry that you weren't that kid. I assume <laughs> the, first, the first thought you had wasn't pride. It was, it was anger. But I know you I too know, well. I, think I, know. The, I think that's the issue. So, okay. Fordham. You learn the thing. You're essentially inventing the idea of turnkey office space. You're inventing the idea of, you know, high-speed internet to, you know, to a particular room, which now we take for granted because anyone, you know, particularly in the city. So you do that. And what year is it now? Is it, uh, what, 2000, 2002, 2003, Globix? Man, 2006? Yeah, right. Somewhere right, so around there? 2006. You are now essentially a network ninja, right? That is your career today. How do you go from entering the knock in Globix, uh, literally right before they just completely blew up and, and, and went away, 
to becoming a network ninja. What's next? What's next? During the time at Globix, QTS, another data center provider, came in and acquired the company. What happened was Globix sold off its European business to Telecity. Then they sold the actual data center down on one, at 139 Center Street. Because uh, right the real estate was worth more than the data center. Uh, yeah, and they sold it to like some you know uh, investors looking to build a you know medical offices or something like that. And uh, they didn't sell the company yet, though. They sold that building before they sold the company, and then they finally sold the company to QTS. Bought it, but they had to move out, and they had nowhere to go. Um, so you can thank Rich Lukash for uh, uh, architecting this deal from Bank Street, and. Uh, they ended up buying NTT data in Jersey city, 95 Christopher Columbus. And, you know, we slept on the data center floor. We moved servers, half the people because they're New Yorkers gave us the finger and said, I, I don't want to go to New Jersey and I want my service to be in New York city because it's convenient for me. And, uh, you know, we kind of moved along. We, we made that all happen. And then, um, you know, down the road, uh, QTS was like, hey, you interested in moving to California? We need some folks out at our Santa Clara facility. So I said, sure, why not? Warmer weather, no snow, Silicon Valley, could be fun. Head, headed out there and uh, I think I stayed with QTS uh, for maybe, you know, the next year after, you know, seeing you know, seeing and being exposed to Silicon Valley and all the high tech. And that's when I ended up joining a, another startup that was, you know, doing uh, aggregating instant messaging into the browser. And they were called, name was Mebo, uh, who later got acquired by Google. All right. So they get acquired by Google. What year are we at? Are we at... Uh... So we are at like 2011 now. They think they, the acquisition was 2011, 2012. You're, you're mm-hmm. basically, you're, you're part of these startups that, you know, maybe the, our listeners have never heard of Mebo, right? But, you know, a lot of the things that you saw at that part of your career are now things that people take for granted, you know, the ability to do things like, you know, instant messaging in a browser. I mean, that sounds a lot like, you know, the way people are communicating with social media these days, you know, obviously everyone is gung-ho about Slack, which is another, you know, aggregation uh, uh, mechanism. But that's what I'm talking about, you know, this notion that the guy that was in high school and is running cable is now essentially at the forefront of creating or, or helping to create something that seems like unbelievably complex, but is now just a few short years later. I mean, it doesn't really seem like that long ago, uh, just in terms of years, something that is just built in to, uh, to every device. Where do we go from Mebo? What's next after Mebo? Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. So uh, from there, I went over and joined Twitter. Never heard of them. Francisco. What do they do? Yeah, they're, they're also do some kind of social networking. Yeah, so, you know, they, uh, you know, I think the part, you know, while still at Mebo, I, I moved to San Francisco after living in Mountain View because I just needed a little, I love cities. I needed a little bit more density. It was a little bit too quiet. And uh, from then I joined Twitter, you know, was a network engineer there, focused on like, initially focused on security. And then, you know, I started focusing on all the backbone and core networking. And I didn't really touch data center networking, but mostly backbone, interconnection, um, all the peering stuff. And, you know, stayed there through the IPO, which was wild. You know, I could still remember is like, man, I was just like you say, you know, I was, I was some time ago, it didn't feel long that I was running cables. And now I just joined a Silicon Valley startup and, you know, went through an IPO. And not just the Silicon Valley startup. I mean, the 
probably the most recognized name at this point in social media, right? I mean, thanks in no part and no small part to the fact that it's the primary communication mechanism for uh, for, for for the head of our country. But but yeah, I mean that that it just that trajectory I think is incredible, and it's it's just it's something that I think people think about in in terms of like a movie script. They'll see, you know, whatever the Vince Vaughn movie where he goes to Google University and he becomes like, uh, you know, Mr. Mr. Web 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever version <laughs> we're on now. But, you, you know, you basically lived it, right? You left high school because it was boring and you ended up essentially taking Twitter public. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that to All me thanks is, to me. If only they gave me the stock. Yeah, well. Well, I thought uh, that's the reason why you were wearing the black shirt. <laughs> 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 What's well, after Twitter? Uh, so yeah, so after Twitter, you know, um, took a role at Microsoft and kind of, that was my step away from engineering, which, you know, may look backwards to most folks, right? They kind of go to the big companies and then go to the newer startups. Uh, but you know, I went to Microsoft, moved back to New York, you know, with my now fiance and, uh, worked at Microsoft and focusing on interconnection strategy, you know, looking at internet exchanges and where to connect all over the world. Let's uh, talk a little bit about from, from, from the, the leadership perspective that you have gained over the years. What are some of the recommendations that you would have for the younger generation that's potentially looking to get into our space and suggest that they follow a particular path, go to school, get some education, get started in its early, choose their passion and move forward? Yeah, I mean... Uh, there is no path to take, right? And I think, you know, mine is a pretty clear indication or example of that. And don't follow your passion. That's the dumbest advice anybody will give you. I mean, I've, tried, I've seen this all over the place and don't follow your passion. Uh, maybe when you're rich, you can follow your passion and it doesn't matter anymore, but don't follow your passion. Um, I think we found the, okay uh, the headline for the podcast, don't follow your passion is going to be the... Uh... <laughs> no, but uh, look, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, explore try a few different things, if find what you're interested in. And, you know, maybe you'll be passionate about something you find along the way, but don't say I'm passionate about building networks and that's what you're going to do. Cause I don't know how many people are really passionate about building networks until they actually get to go do it. But that's it, you know, explore, be curious, focus on the people. You know, every company is about number one. The number one thing every company is about is the people. You know, one of the best lines that, you know, I've learned to love for a couple from a couple of years ago that is uh, from Ben Horowitz's book is it, in, it the most important things in the business are the people, products, and then the profits. Without people, you're not going to have great products. And without great products, you're not going to have profits. So focus on, you know, being around great people. Well, that's a great advice. Thank you very much for that. What do you wish you had known when you started out? Uh, I have a pretty big appetite for risks. That's for sure. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, just, I mean, you just got to go for it. Or like, you only live once, right? Your advice to your younger self is continue to do everything the way you did it. Just take, um, just do your thing. Or is there something you wish you had known that you now know that um, other than make sure Twitter gives you more stock before? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, I guess, I guess I didn't actually answer in the beetle, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, I wouldn't change anything. I mean, just just go ahead and I don't wish I knew anything different. It's because then I I might have ended up in a different place, right? You're really happy for for what you've been able to accomplish. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's incredible. I mean, a lot of people are still, people in our age or older are actually still trying to find out what are they going to do when they grow up and or what the, the perfect place for them uh, to be is. 
So what you do for life, and, and, and like Phil and I, I mean, the market segment that we're engaged in, is relatively very complicated. And we've got our own ways of learning. How do you continue to learn and, and stay on top of things in this constantly evolving market space? Oh, man. So like I said, I've always been kind of curious, right, about, you know, why things are the way they are, how things work and all that. And maybe three years ago, I actually I looked at our I looked at our market, our industry, and I said, you know, most of the media out there, it sucks, right? There's there's just a bunch of crap websites. They look, you know, they look like they're 20 years old. They all publish the same content, which are just pulling off press releases, and there's, there's no depth in it, right? So, and I looked at, it and I said, man, you know, I I just want a simple summary to know what's what happened, what's important that I need to know in the industry, right? And I said, well seems like newsletters are becoming popular again. And this is 2016. I'll try to create a newsletter. So I create a newsletter and I just curate stories from the web. And uh, eventually I've, you know, honed in my process and, uh, you know, use a bunch of different tools and apps to make this all happen. But, uh, you know, I, I eventually just started curating that and sending out this newsletter. It goes out to like 5,600 5, people today. So it's still still growing. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll celebrate when I hit 10,000 and it, you know, goes, grows a little faster. But... I, yeah, I, I mean, I just started curating the news and over time, I just realized what's, what's important that people should know about, right? Because there's a lot of fluff out there and it basically just came down to collecting all of the PR and financial filings and company filings from all of these companies in our industry in one place and then sorting through it and getting past all that fluff that is typically pushed out there. All right, so let me do a comparison here. The, the way people, people typically answer that question is they'll say, I go to this website or I go to that website or I read, you know, Car and Driver, Popular Science or whatever, you know, magazine you can put your hands around. I want to make sure that everyone is clear as to what Christian Koch is saying. He is saying that in order to get to feel the pulse of what's going on in this world. He's reading financial filings. He is joining analyst calls. He's sifting through press releases, picking out what he thinks is interesting and putting it in a newsletter for other people to be able to, you know, not have to do all of that work. Enter, what is it called? The Foundations Newsletter? Yep, Foundations. Um, you know, you're going to reach 10,000 quickly, of course, because you're on the Nomad Futures podcast. I mean, I mean, that is an incredible way to, to get news. And it speaks to one characteristic that I think defines who you are as, as someone who has you know, general curiosity, and that's confidence. You know, I found this um, after I graduated college um, and a few years later when I had my friends who were essentially just like people we got drunk with, they started becoming lawyers and doctors and stuff. And I got this feeling as, as though, you know, I had always looked at those types of people as, especially doctors, I always looked at doctors like they have all the answers and if anything goes wrong, they're going to be able to, to solve the problem for me until my friends started becoming doctors. I was like, wait a minute, that guy's just a regular schmuck and, and he's a doctor. Um, and, and the idea that, and, and I think this is incredibly important for, for our listeners, the idea that you need to be confident in your curiosity, confident in questioning why something happens and not so scared that you're going to, you know, spin it wrong or understand it wrong or interpret it incorrectly. 
because the, the people that are putting out this information, the people that are that have created these companies that you think are like unattainable, the Twitters, the Facebooks, all they're just people. And there's an answer to uh, how they got to where they are. And, you know, we talk about how complex our world is. And at the end of the day, it's not really all that complex if you strip it down to the fact that it is still copper touching copper and glass touching glass and large, you know, air conditioned rooms um, and a bunch of fancy software and GUIs to, you know, automate certain processes. But um, I don't know. I don't even know what the question is. Just, just respond. Good, uh, good statement, Phil. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, Christian has got a great political career in front of him. Uh, all of that was fake news, and he's going to make his own news. <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about the monkey in the room, as I call it. Some call it the elephant in the room. In the current state of affairs, what are some of the biggest hurdles and what are some of your strategic focuses? I don't know. That's a good question. I mean, I'm just kind of staying on track and focusing on what I focus on. And I kind of, I kind of ignore a lot of the current state of affairs. And I, you know, I try to not, you know, watch or read mainstream news. And sometimes I actually have no idea what's going on in the world. I'm just kidding. Most, mostly I always do, but I, I, I do really not try to read any of that stuff just because uh, I'm focused on, you know, trying to, you know, make a difference in our industry and, you know, making sure that new people and younger people do have places to learn and places to go and connect with each other, you know, like Ninog uh, and, um, you know, just kind of making sure that they have people to reach out to that if they want to, and you know that that's kind of it. I'm just kind of just staying curious. I mean, you've yeah. um, you you've you've been working from home for years, right? It's it's not like you have the traditional. I go to an office every day, so I'm particularly disrupted. Um, I don't think you have any little kids, pitter patters of little feet running around your yeah. house. So in that in that sense, you know, you haven't really been disrupted in the way you work. But given um, you know what you've seen, what you know, what your your understanding of of um, the industry in general, based on you know your amateur analyst background, notwithstanding the fact that you know you're you're the network ninja at Packet Fabric, um, clearly you must have seen some changes in behavior uh, across the spectrum of you know the way people do networking. I mean, you were traveling all over the place, going from conference to conference to conference, and you know within the last sixty days, I don't think you've been doing a lot of traveling. So you know, what disruptions have you seen that you can pinpoint? And how, what of those disruptions do you think, you know, are potentially beneficial, will potentially accelerate, you know, some, you know, digital transformation or network transformation plans um, that, that, you know, you have um, insight into, you know, what, what do you think the permanence is to, uh, you know, to the way people are doing business today versus how they were doing business, let's say, 62 days ago? Yeah, so I think uh, I'll touch on two points then with this. For one, events and conferences our industry, probably not just our industry, but multiple industries have a conference problem and an event problem. Uh, Not only are there your core kind of industry groups, like, you know, network operator groups and things like that, but there are companies producing conferences that are strictly for for for-profit businesses, right? And commercial purposes. There are all kinds of other events that come along. Maybe they're nonprofit, maybe they're for-profit. Then there are every company now that gets traction wants to have their own event, 
So I think that we're going to see, you know, recalibration across the industry as far as these conference goes, uh, uh, conferences go. And, you know, I, I, I would, I would be, wouldn't be surprised if we saw some close to bankruptcies for some of these companies that put on conferences uh, as their primary business. Um, if you look at Gartner, uh, for example, I think they said they're, you know, they'll lose over $300 million from the canceled conferences this year pretty significant. I don't think their conference business will go away, but that's just something to think about and it really puts it into perspective. So I think, I think it's a good thing that less conferences, more meaningful conferences. Uh, and I think it will eventually pick back up. And I think the, the second thing is that I think every, I think most people are slightly wrong about what they say is that this is the new normal, because if this was the new normal, you know, we've had made, I mean, we haven't had anything like this for, for, quite some time, maybe, maybe never. Right. Uh, but we've had significant events that have changed the way, you know, society works and society behaves and look after from two years from now, it'll be back to normal. And while you may, while you may have, I think a lot of more people working from home, I think there's a lot of businesses that still thrive and want to be in the office. Um, you know, as like I said, you said I work from home for a little bit. I like the opportunity to go into an office because just sitting at home all the time sucks. In, in your opinion, what are some of the biggest areas that will change that will be some of the biggest challenges that we should prep for? I mean, connectivity, for instance. I mean, you're a ninja. Network ninja. Don't, don't, say, don't, say, don't say ninja. That's like the worst thing to say about anybody. That's, Phil's just showing his age. He's just proving that it's, <laughs> he doesn't know that it's outdated anymore. <laughs> We laugh, we, we laugh at those people who write their network ninja <laughs> in their LinkedIn profile or their Twitter bio. What do you believe are the biggest challenges our industry will face in the next three to five years, considering what we just talked about uh, from latency, network, uh, any limitations uh, that will potentially arise with more people working from home or anywhere? I, I got to say, number first, I don't know. Mobile data traffic is on its way back down to normal almost. And, you know, while there's still some spikes of traffic, I think maybe one of the biggest things is actually, you know, the transformation of networking that to more of a cloud-like service, software eats networking and all this. I mean, networking is last like always. Software has began eating every other industry for some time. Right. And there might be a few industries left. Maybe government will be last. Networking won't be completely last. But uh, those are really, I think, there's the two big things. It's really just, you know, software and, you know, uh, on demand uh, models. So have you come across any of these 5G theories, 5G being the, the root cause of uh, coronavirus and the Europeans just burning off those uh, cell sites? And yeah. If so, so what are your thoughts on it? <laughs> yeah. It's a. Uh, it's kind of crazy. Uh, I remember back in March, I was talking with a friend and uh, I had come across some some folks on Twitter talking about, you know, uh, Wuhan being the first 5G deployment site. And it's no coincidence that that's where coronavirus uh, originated. And from the, and this is back in March. So when I saw this news, I'm like, 
I'm like, oh my God, this just got out of control. Um, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, I think the one thing that's concerning is more the safety and like, you know, well-being of, of the, the folks working for these ISPs that have to climb those towers and the technicians that are out there when people are lighting towers on fire. And uh, there's some crazy stuff. I saw a video the other, you know, the other day, a guy, he stole a tank, uh, an army tank, and drove it into towers yeah. <laughs> in, in England, yeah, in the UK. Exactly. It's, it's, it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, those are the people that think the earth is flat. Is that what people were doing? Like when, you know, during the industrial revolution where they're like, no, no, no car factories. We want the horses. And were they like, were they blowing up car factories or, you know, microwave factories? Cause you know, the microwave is going to get all the nutrients out of the food. Is that, is that, should that have been expected in, in the evolution of, of industry that people just don't like change? I mean, I would have expected it more to happen in America than anywhere else, but <laughs> uh, we might as well, we might as well merge with uh, the UK these days and become one. I, I, I'm not going to go into this political. <laughs> I mean, you are, you are thousands of miles off the mainland, dude. <laughs> Where you live. I know it's, I know it's America, but no, I'm not sure it's America. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Trump, Trump never said anything about building walls in Hawaii. That's true. That's true. That's true. Uh, probably because he thinks it's part of a different country. Exactly. Yeah. We are the 52nd state. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what, what gets you excited about technology, Christian? And what kind of uh, technology interests you? What are you looking at for, for yourself and for your career for the upcoming few years? Yeah, so I like, you know, I like edge computing, actually, not to be confused with, you know, micro edge data centers or, you know, fake news edge computing, because there's a lot of that out there. Edge computing, though, as in the kind of stuff that Cloudflare is doing uh, with their workers and actually enabling developers to, you know, push their code out to the edge. I think we're, we're ways away before we actually see some significant traction there. Uh, and I think, you know, you're going to see the, people, the folks like Cloudflare, you know, become a lot more popular CDNs you know, before any of these other things do, but it's an interesting space. Um, I think uh, I did like uh, augmented reality and I think that's going to be bigger than virtual reality, but uh, I actually don't think, I don't know if it's going to be that big anymore at all, but maybe, maybe the whole pandemic actually uh, accelerates that with buying real estate, right? I mean, renting a new apartment. These are things you got, the people are still doing. Uh, I just was out on the street the other day and I saw someone moving into the building next door. So people still got to get to get on with their lives. And, and if they're, if they had a move planned or they want to move, uh, you're going to need a way to really, you know, be able to tour a house or tour a property or whatnot. So that's kind of exciting. And uh, other than that, um, I just think it's, it's still super early for internet infrastructure and, you know, these foundations that power podcasts like this and, you know, video streaming for the kids like TikTok and YouTube and all this. But uh, I tell you one thing I think that's really exciting from a high level is that I think during this pandemic, you're going to see a lot more businesses be born and they're going to be, I think you're going to see a lot of people figure out how they can make money and how they can take advantage of the situation they're in, um, whether they lost their jobs or they're furloughed or whatever the case. Um, the passion economy is what you know the investors are calling it. Is 
doing a podcast, doing a newsletter, creating online courses. And there's so much of this out there. There's courses on productivity, how to be more productive, what apps to use, you know, because there's so many tools and so many applications out there. So that is probably, that's probably the top of the list. That's super interesting. And I love, you know, I love that you guys are doing a podcast. I love seeing more podcasts. Um, I want to see more video um, and just more content, you know, if I go back on what we said for the younger people and, you know, providing more opportunities for them to learn, this is it, right? It's the, it's the internet. What's amazing is, uh, this idea that, you know, when everybody got trapped in their, in their homes with these stay at home orders, and it's essentially global, it actually made everything that much more accessible. So, you know, it's, you know, the ability for me and Nabil to get on this thing and me to essentially be this far away from, you know, being in Kona. Uh, whereas before, you know, the idea of, of us having this type of, um, you know, conversation or interaction would have just been, it would have been bizarre to even schedule it unless there was like a specific business, you know, meeting that we had to have about some particular solution that we were having. And that crosses all these different platforms. I mean, my kids are having, you know, Zoom ballet class, Zoom soccer class. And, you know, you can, if you're going to have those types of, of classes, you're no longer bound by whoever, you know, the expert is in your particular neighborhood that's, you know, within walking distance or within, within you know, a simple car ride, you now have this global accessibility to expertise. And I think, you know, all great businesses are born because, you know, they're solving a particular problem that exists. And, you know, right now we have these generalized solutions to particular problems. My kids, you know, are using Zoom all the time for, for online schooling and they have additional apps like Seesaw and all these different things that are going to come out. But as we start embracing telemedicine and e-learning and all these things that I think to a certain extent are here to stay. This is the only, the, the last 60 days have been you know, the only times that my kids have consistently gotten to school on time. And it's because <laughs> what we have to do is log into Zoom. And I'll say the other thing, which is it's the only way I've gotten my kids to consistently brush their teeth in the morning because I put on a mask and they have to, they have to smell their own breath. So I assume that, you know, the dental... <laughs> The dental, the dental profession is gonna is gonna have a significant boon as well, or maybe a bust because everyone's gonna take care of their take care of their teeth. You know, that's the thing that I think is just so exciting with what apps are gonna become. You know, specifically targeted towards all the different areas of our lives that are now gonna be enabled by by the internet. And the internet used to just be this thing that we used, you know, to play games. And then it become, became this production enablement tool where people embrace, you know, using email versus using snail mail and all that. And now it's just, you know, the entirety of the world. And Bill talks about digital transformation all the time. You know, it's just gonna be so real time that it's gonna be, um, there are benefits to it. There are elements of it that are liberating. Um, and there's, you know, some scariness to it as well in terms of our ability to maintain as Nabil likes to call it, the life-work balance, as I like to call it, because I'm in New York, the work-life balance. But that's the thing. Do you find yourself working more than you would have otherwise because everybody else is just sitting at home, contacting you constantly? I know you work from home typically, but do you find that, you know, with all of your extracurricular activities, with all of your stuff happening remotely and not being, you know, meeting at a bar and stuff, you find yourself essentially working in not your personal life, as much as just, you know, in whatever you call your varying professional existence? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, day job that pays the bills or, you know, working on Ninog or continuing to do research and expand my newsletter. And 
you know, it's, uh, there's I definitely, I'm working, I'm working more and, you know, you're not getting out to go to the gym You're not getting out to go to dinner. You're not getting out to go to bars. It's funny. You know, I was thinking as you were talking and thinking back about, you know, what Nabil said about, you know, things, he thinks that things really will change. And I kind of thought about, you know what, I think there are some aspects that really will be the new normal. And I started thinking about the yoga thing. Why would you go and spend time going to a yoga class if you can throw it on your you know, TV or a projector in your apartment and do it over Zoom with you know, maybe an awesome yoga instructor from Thailand or Indonesia or where, you know, wherever, you know, and, and kind of even bring in more cultural experiences that way. Uh, but then I, then I kind of just thought back, as you mentioned, uh, as you started talking was that, you know, I, I, think, I think, and I don't think it's going to be this way for the whole world, but I think people are going to just be like, you know what, I'm tired of being home. I want to go back to what I, what I knew. Maybe it, maybe it won't happen with a lot of people. And, you know, I think there are, there are some areas that will change, but. Uh... I'll take the buzzwords thing. Christian, <laughs> tell us, tell, I know you love buzzwords. You're, you're Mr. Buzzword. Every foundation newsletter is just buzzword, 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 hybrid edge, multi-cloud, blah, blah, blah. Uh, what are your feelings on buzzwords? No, look, I mean, I think there's a lot of buzzwords that, that have a, a place. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people that poke at digital transformation uh, as one of them, but I, I like the word and I, it's, I think it's a real thing and completely agree with it. And, you know, if you paid attention to a lot going on over the like last month or two, you know, we saw comments from, you know, uh, the CEO of Box and Satya Nadella, for, uh, CEO of Microsoft, who, you know, kind of said what they're seeing is just a, a massive acceleration in companies realizing that shit, we need to, you know, put the pedal to the metal and, uh, you know, actually start accelerating our, our you know, our transformation. Um, so that's one I, I, I don't mind. Uh, I'm kind of tired of hearing artificial intelligence because I think, 80% of the people who say it actually don't really know what it means. And, and there's a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of things like that, right? 5G is, is 5G, but it's just continually super hyped and overused. And when there's something, you know, ready for us, it will be cool to see, but you know, I'm not holding my breath. I don't know. You know, machine learning is kind of fine. And there's other things that come along. Like I said before, the passion economy is what they're calling, you know, the whole, creating content online and, and creating paid newsletters and podcasts and things like that. I mean, you know, not I think too in, bad. I, I think in general, um, you know, the, the buzzwords in and of themselves are fine because they're, you know, they were, they were designed to try to uh, succinctly communicate a, a trend that's happening. The problem with them is they get, they get taken over by marketing forces within organizations and they lose all their meaning because they just start using the word digital transformation to mean let's upgrade the printer or, you know, it just, it just becomes not necessarily about what the initial goal was when, when, when creating it and it loses all meeting, the word cloud lost all meeting, the world, you know, even, even internet of things to a certain extent. I mean, that, that kind of thing just is, it's what people glom onto eventually because that, that aren't necessarily, you know, talking about the same thing that, uh, that all of us would necessarily think they're talking about. Part of the challenge is buzzwords, when they originally started, they had the right meaning to it. They had the right foundation to it. It just got into the wrong people's hands, uh, marketing, for instance, being one, and uh, everybody trying to ride that coattail of it, right? Uh, I've, I've, I've been talking about digital transformation or artificial intelligence for a long time. And Christian, to your point, 
80%, my God, man, you are very generous when you say 80% of the people probably don't have an understanding. I think it's like the 95 percentile that does You're not know right. what, what, what AI really means. Talk a little bit more of these buzzwords. I mean, what else have you encountered? What else uh, besides machine learning, AI, 5G, Edge, cloud, that have actually really caught your attention as uh, being a lot of hype or a false This is your chance. This is your chance, Christian. Let it loose. I look, look. I, I, there's not really that many, man. I mean, look. My focus is while while I'm interested and curious in a lot of things, uh, doing the, and curating this newsletter has really helped me just kind of push all the junk to the side and just not focus on it. The same way, like I, I, I kind of ignore political climate and, and mainstream news and things like that. Um, so I, I actually don't know a lot of them. You know, there's, yeah, sure, there's a few, but um, I don't know, micro data centers in this whole thing, I wish would just go away. Uh, I don't know, what else, what else is there? How about containers, containerization? No, uh, legit and, uh, you know, big focus on the enterprise uh, cloud journey. Um, I think it's a great innovation. You know, oh my God, I was you've reading. Gone so soft. You've gone so yeah, soft. Yeah, yeah. I just try to stay. On? You know, it's just a lot of that mainstream stuff. I try <laughs> to stay away from. You know, look. If I was into it, I would go work at Gartner. Um, but you know, <laughs> really have a bone to pick with Gartner. We're gonna get a, we're gonna get a cease and desist. <laughs> you can you can you can you can beep it out if you're worried about it. No, I okay. no, any press is there. good press. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I need that. <laughs> no, no, okay, no, look, word. it's not it's, it's not Gardner. I don't mean to pick I don't mean to pick on them. There's a bunch of big uh, research and advisory companies like that that you know come up with you know Deloitte and a lot of these guys are also you know just as much to blame for pushing a lot of the buzzwords that you end up not liking. But you know I'm I'm, I'm in full agreement like both you, Phil, and Nabil mentioned is they had a legit purpose. And, you know, you can blame the journalists and you can blame the marketers for just leaning too much on these these analysts and these research companies uh, and also just not understanding or not taking the time to understand what it actually means and then talk about it in a meaningful context. I'm, I'm going to throw out a couple of more buzzwords. Hyper automation, real fake, okay, connected retail, Real fake. Uh, I, I I think I've heard about it, but I would I would have more thought that a connected real estate is another one that's probably in the same bucket though. Quantum computing. Computing legit. Voice as user interface. We. I never heard that one, but uh, I'm a I'm, I am a big fan of of voice and voice interface. Blockchain. Ah, no. <laughs> All right, the Christian Koch blockchain is a no. Look, Stop using um, blockchain. You know. It's hard. I, I'm just. I'm just not a big fan. I don't care about it. I know there's a lot of people who really believe in it. There's a lot of. There's a lot of people who think they're going to change the internet and create a new internet by using blockchain. Uh, Does anybody so, really know what it is? I mean, I, uh, I get the sense that people use it to say that you know they're they're inventing something that is unique. They're talking about a process that is already invented thirty times over. But in order to get attract, you know, some investors, they throw the word blockchain in front of it. And and somehow you know it gets people to think that it's you know some some new way of decentralizing blah blah blah. But is, yeah, is, I mean, is that it? Look, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna probably start a company next year, and I'm probably it's probably gonna be based on artificial blockchain. <laughs> yeah. Artificial blockchain <laughs> newsletters. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there's some. I think there's some interesting use cases for blockchain, but you know, it, I don't know how far into this are we now. Over a decade. Right. And uh, some things are popping up. I mean, look, you got, you've got the interests of people, right? Facebook's Libra just 
took a, you know, a C-level from HSBC, I think, to be the CEO of the Libra Project. So there are people in banking. Warren Buffett just said on his, uh, you know, the Berkshire annual call this past weekend, I guess it was, that he going to be bought a bunch of Bitcoin or something. Well, with the 10,000 again. So that must be dumped all, he, done, he dumped all of his airline stock, every single one, and he bought <laughs> oh, Bitcoin. Yeah. That's, that's a bleep. All right. So from a futurist perspective, uh, here's top 10 trends from Gardner on some of the buzzwords. <laughs> Hyper automation, real or fake? Uh, fake. Multi-experience, real or fake? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> de- de- democratization. That that's it. That's I mean that's that's the that's the buzzword. <laughs> Fake. <laughs> As it relates to data, I guess I don't know. Yes, uh, human augmentation. <laughs> Fake. Transparency and traceability. I mean these. Are, uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. No, no. <laughs> and I, I'm I'm pretty sure you're gonna love this one. The empowered edge. <laughs> empowered edge. What makes it different from? You know, the artificial edge. <laughs> there is none, but uh, they believe that it's a buzzword for 2023. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's set a calendar date to, to yeah. do another yes. version of this podcast right. and see where we are with the Empowered Edge. Yeah. With Christian Koch being the CEO of Empowered Edge LLC. Yeah, the distributed cloud. No. Autonomous anything. I mean, that's just like, hey, autonom- autonomy is... Uh, you know, automation is cool. Let's just throw it up uh, against everything. No. <laughs> okay. And I think this is one that's going to be your favorite one as well. Practical blockchain. Practical blockchain. Whoever created that can go sells. <laughs> Last but not least, AI security. Artificial intelligence security. We're going to secure the things we don't know about. Okay. Yeah. Man, that is some, that is some list. That's a Gartner list. That is a Gardner list. Yeah, published on October twenty first of two thousand nineteen. Christian is accelerating his plans for Gardner's bankruptcy. Okay, so there's a couple other things, Christian. uh, Like to get your take on again your opinions. Five G as a catalyst, real or fake? Depends. A catalyst to what? To anything. I mean, uh, VR to AR uh, to IoT. Eventually. Okay. AI as a service. I mean, since we've been following SaaS, PaaS. IS, whatever the case might be, is AI as a service of the future? Uh, no. Well, this is great. Last thoughts, last words that you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, uh, keep watching these guys. Uh, I think it's an awesome podcast. It was, it was definitely probably the most fun podcast that uh, I, I've done, even though uh, you know, I, I hate uh, being on podcasts and I hate being on video. Uh, it, was, it was super fun. Go subscribe to my newsletter. It's foundations.email. You know, stay curious. This has been great. Nothing lasts forever. Markets will come back. Currencies will rebound. Businesses will go on. And we'll all move on. That could happen next week, next month, or next year. I'm confident that those who prepare rather than panic will come out of this stronger. Thank you for joining us. This has been brought to you by Nomad Futurist. Check us online at nomadfuturist.com.